So this family, the Wolfs, have been living in church our whole lives. We, would, uh, we could be called church mice. And uh, it's good. My kids were church mice. I was a church mouse. It's a good thing to be. You know what church mice are? They're those little creatures that live at church. And they run all over the place. And uh, create havoc. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> all right. Well, we believe in the church around here. We, we believe, we believe that, that the church, and we're going to talk a lot over the next few weeks about what church is. And we're going to get very tuned into why we do this. Absolutely why we do this. And the, the override, overarching, overriding kind of thought process that I want you all to have, and we've talked about this before, is that church is, um, well, just the whole, the whole deal, is healthy Christians. So humanity that becomes uh, Christian, that, that uh, embrace the Christian belief and become healthy in your Christianity. Everybody say healthy. Healthy Christians. Have you ever met a non-healthy Christian? I mean, not like you don't eat good, but just, they just aren't quite, you know, the, the word of God has not. Okay, so, so the, the whole concept of being a healthy Christian is a progression. Everybody say progression. So our job here at New Horizon is to help you continue to walk in your walk and continue to become healthier and healthier as a Christian. Because what happens is, is when healthy Christians come together in a church, all of those healthy Christians form a strong church. And when there is a strong church in a community, a healthy church filled with healthy Christians, godly, righteous people doing their very best, that church in that community becomes an incredible light to that community. And now the, they can walk out an effective kingdom. The kingdom becomes effective in darkness when the church is strong. And the church is strong when the, each individual member is healthy. Amen? It kind of keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And so we're going to be talking about this a lot. As During worship, I was kind of considering all this and mulling it over, and the Lord kind of gave me a really fun vision that when you become a Christian, God lights your fire. And each and every single one of you are a fire, a light, a, a lamp, a spark, like a little glow bug. Have you ever seen those fire, what are they called? Fireflies? Those are the coolest things. That's one thing that we don't have here. But each and every single one of you have the fire of God inside of you. And your sparks that walk around, you're carrying the light of Christ. You are amazing when you go out into this world and when you live your life and you function in your home. But I'll tell you what, there's something about bringing a bunch of that together. And when you all come together, we have fire now. And that fire can light up this community. And that's what it's all about. The church, the church, the church. And we're going to find out today what red letters there are in, in the New Testament that actually where Jesus talks about the church. And I'm really hoping to bring some, bring some light to this. Amen? Okay, so every seven days, the world does church. Every seven days. And right now, there are churches all across the West Coast that are, that are doing church. And I'm maybe the, the next time zone over, they're just finishing up. And, and it's been a ripple. It's been a ripple going on for about probably 12 or 14 hours all the way around the world. And it's going to continue. Pretty soon, Hawaii is going to get up and have church. But church has been going on all around the world today. Think about it. It's not just us. Every seven days it happens. Every seven days, nonstop. And it's going to continue. Every seven days, you get up and you come to church, I hope. Amen. I'm going to just throw that in. Every seven days, I have gone to church. And, you know, for years, it was more than every seven days. But uh, at this point, you know, we've kind of, this is what we do now. We don't necessarily do Monday night prayer meetings, Wednesday night uh, Bible studies and Friday night worship. You know, how many of you guys ever lived that life, right? Okay. So, but every seven days we have church. My earliest memories of life are at church. My earliest memories. I have memories. My, our church was probably maybe, maybe these two, uh, it was Kenmore Assembly of God, maybe these two sections worth wooden pews. The um, piano was right here, red carpet red carpet. No padding on the pews, all wood. And over here was the organ, okay? And my mom 
played the piano every time the door was open. So my mom's over here, and I am a baby. There is no childcare. I am a baby. I am sitting on the second pew right about where Lisa is right there. I'm sitting there. I'm just dangling my shoes. And my little patent leathers, every time it would touch anything, it would make a loud noise. So if I decided to lay down, clunk, clunk, and my mother would look at me from her piano. And I didn't even have to be looking at her. I knew it was coming. So I would straighten up. I slept under that pew many many, 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 many times. There were times I have memories of being under that pew and looking at everybody's shoes. And in fact, one Sunday, I kind of got it in my, my craw to go, go visit them. So I went swimming <laughs> all the way <laughs> back, and um, it, it, my mother looked at me again. I remember cranking the mimeograph at church. Anybody ever remember cranking a mimeograph so you could have bulletins? I remember the, my mom's Ford Fairlane station wagon, baby blue, stuffed with kids from the whole neighborhood in the car driving to church so that we could all go and learn about Jesus. My mom would fill up our Ford Fairlane station wagon with the neighborhood kids all the time. I remember falling asleep at church. I remember singing specials standing around this piano over here with the pastor's daughter my age playing the piano, and I was only about nine. Yeah, that's how it, how it was. I remember cleaning. I remember teaching all the children because there wasn't childcare, and I decided it needed to happen at the ripe old age of 10. I remember playing in that church all over the place. I remember altar times. I remember potlucks, sermons, Christmas programs, choir outfits. I lived church. I loved it. What a legacy of church I have inside of me. We saw three pastors come through that church. Lots of people leaving, coming, going for happy things and not so happy things. I remember people leaving church angry. I remember my friends coming and going, but I remember new friends coming. I remember so much about church. Church was so much about my life. Everything, remember when everything was closed on Sundays so that you could go to church? For a, a season, we had Saturday night church because we were building this building. And I would get up. We'd do church on Saturday night. I'd get up Sunday morning, and I'd think, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to run to the store, grab some stuff. Then we had to come here and have a work party, right? So I, w I remember going to the mall. It's like, what are you people doing here? I would give them all snake eye, you know, the stink eye. What are you doing here? You should be at church. And then I felt bad because I kind of looked like them. So then I thought I needed to wear a sign. I went last night, okay? But church looks different now than it used to be. Church is different. The malls are busier. Hollywood has done its best to make church look out of date. There's a, almost a cultural animosity sometimes against church. There's empty cathedrals. Why do we do this? What if we just went with the flow of where, nat where it's going naturally, it feels like. Why don't the pressure seem so strong and the tide seems so strong against church? Because there's a hundred more things we could do on a sa Sunday because we've been so busy on Saturday. It's so easy to stay home and mow the lawn and, and get those things done that we need to get done because pressure hits again Monday morning. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do you come to church? Church has existed for 2,000 years. 2,000 years with lots of change. I'm, I'm preaching down on the front row there. I'm hearing, I'm hearing it coming. I'm hearing it coming. So church has existed for 2,000 years. A lot of change has happened in church. There's no more red carpet. There's no more organ and piano. There's no more wooden pews. You get to sit on padding. Aren't you glad for, for progress? This church, over, the two, over 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has endured martyrdom. It has endured oppression. It has endured times where they've been burnt down. Church buildings are being burnt down even today. The church has in, uh, you know, uh, experienced so much. And then there's been seasons where the church has experienced favor. And where uh, church has experienced opulence. The church has gone through so much. Where did it start? It started with one man, a blue-collar carpenter, 
with 12 disjointed, diverse, average Joes in a small, hot, dry, out-of-the-way, foreign country, forgotten, an oppressed, vassal state of a mega-empire called Israel. After three years of adventure, of a life filled with the tenderness of Jesus as he spoke to babies, and the savageness of Jesus when he cast out demons and broke chains off of people's lives, the miracles, the teaching that left every human being standing there in awe, the scathing rebukes from Jesus towards the religious establishment, and then the raising of the bar almost too high for any human to ever be able to, to attain. That raising of that bar as he called out, I don't care about um, uh, if you... Uh, have an affair. What I'm saying now is it's, it's so bad that, it, you know, where I want you to live is that I want your heart. If you look on a woman with a lustful thought, I want your heart. Jesus took it. He drilled down so deep and raised the bar so high. It was amazing. After all that, and, and you know, the, the disciples are getting more and more excited and, and things are happening and things are going with Jesus in such a fantastic direction. But you know what? There was never any huge big takeover. They were expecting him to take over and that he would, he would then now rule and reign here on earth, but that didn't happen. Instead, he died. He died. Then he resurrected and then he looked at his disciples. Can you imagine these disciples having gone through all this? He looked at his disciples, a resurrected human being, and said, go to Jerusalem and go tarry there. Go wait there. Go wait. Don't do anything. Just go to Jerusalem and wait and pray. And then they were standing there. He tells them all about that and then he goes up in the sky. Can you imagine those disciples left standing there? Three years, you know, three years prior, they were just minding their own business, fixing, you know, mending their little nets. And then this huge whirlwind took place in their lives. And then the guy rises, you know, raises up into the sky and disappears. What would you be thinking right then? I just have this vision of those disciples all kind of standing around in a circle. They're like, what just happened to me? What just happened over these three last years? I mean, I would be speechless at that point. Or I wouldn't be speechless. I'd be going, what in the world just happened? Get back here. We need you. Are you kidding me? We were just about ready to take over the world. Where are you going? Come back. We need you. <laughs> at least that would be me. I'm so glad it wasn't me there. And then it got written in this thing. And then everybody read about me. That would not be good. So these disciples, they go to Jerusalem, having just finished Passover, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Fifty days they're in Jerusalem, gathering together at the, at the temple and praying. What, what, what kind of conversations happened there? Re remembering. You know, Jesus Christ made his intentions clear that the kingdom of heaven was going to be something really, really, really big. That he had huge intentions for what he was setting in motion. But now he's gone. And life appears to be going on just as normal. Now he's gone. What in the world? Was that all a, a dream? Was that all? What in the world? And these disciples are gathering together. And now it's not just 12. It's 120. And what are they talking about? Maybe they're remembering. Remember? Jesus said, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That when it's planted, it's going to grow into the biggest tree that there is. And the birds of the air can come and rest and nest in it. Oh, I remember one time. One time he said that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That just starts out a little bit. But the kneading of the dough and it works all the way through. And the whole dough rises. And, and it's going to affect the whole thing. I think they did a lot of remembering. I think they, they rehearsed a lot of what Jesus was saying. But you know what? I'm sure that inside of them, there had to be some wondering. This was supposed to be big. 
And one day, as they're in that upper room, praying, talking, remembering, I don't know what they were doing other than praying, we find in Acts chapter 2, when they were all gathered together in one place, it's interesting, they didn't just go away, they came, they came together. There's something about coming together. They were gathered together in one place and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. God moved and dropped. The Holy Spirit came down on every single one individually. It was a, it was a miraculous moment as they were all gathered together. They spilled out into the streets. And you know the story. You could read it more if you want to. But they spilled out on the streets. And Jerusalem was filled for it was the, uh, the festival of Pentecost. Filled with people from all over the world. And they were speaking in everyone's languages. The, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And their, their prayer language now is languages being spoke in, from all corners of the world. Praising God. Praising God and preaching. And finally Peter got up and he gathered people around and he began to, to just preach. You can read it, all the rest of Acts chapter 2. He preached the best sermon ever preached. And at the end, the people cried out here in verse 36, uh, 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from the corrupt, this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a day. All of these disciples and all of his followers, 50 about days past the death and resurrection and ascension of what they thought was going to be a world takeover. Now they're left. And that one day, the Holy Spirit falls. One sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord and the church is born. I heard it said a couple of weeks ago at, at uh, a conference that we were at, and that's what triggered this in my head. Jesus Christ left two things to fulfill everything that has been written in this Bible. Do you know what those two things are? The Holy Spirit and the church. Two things coming, following the heels of Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection is the Holy Spirit and the church. The Holy Spirit and the church. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of the Godhead actively at work in every single believer. It wasn't just a kind of a group thing where just one big pile of fire came down. There were individual tongues of fire on every soul in that room, in that prayer meeting. And that fire came down into the hearts of those people. This is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And now they will never be the same. Now they are empowered to preach and to teach and to go forward the courage and the strength. It's a, re a complete remake of the inside of the believer when the Holy Spirit comes in and that is God's one of God's gifts that's going to that is going to go all the way to the end of the age is the Holy Spirit living in every single individual believer and when you accept Christ his his presence comes upon you when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit it becomes an upon anointing as if just like that all around the world today, the world, the face of the earth is covered with believers, with the fire of God planted inside of them. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is, this is the hope of the kingdom. 
is for each and every one of you to take that fire, that Holy Spirit that is within you and to not neglect it, not set it aside. Yeah, it was great on a camp meeting day. No, every day to fan that fire so that you can be the brightest shining light to walk your walk around this world. Because I don't walk your walk. You walk your walk. And that Holy Spirit is what God's depending on inside of you to carry it into every conversation, every relationship, every moment. That's you. God left that Holy Spirit and and he put inside of you as a seal. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are not just a normal human being walking around, bumping along, eating your granola in the morning and doing whatever. No. You have the fire of God inside of you. He left the Holy Spirit. And he left the church. Those two things are what God is relying on to bring about all of the promises in that word about what the kingdom is and what the kingdom is to become and what the kingdom is going to be and that tree that starts as a little tiny mustard seed growing, 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 growing. How is he doing it? It would have been so nice if he would have just, Jesus would have gone in and overthrew the Roman government and took up his rule and leadership and scepter. But he chose not to do it that way because he saw time as important. So you know what he did? He made you to reign and rule in life, to be overcomers with that Holy Spirit. So what is church? What is church? What is church? Is church a building, a place, a location? Is church a service that happens? Things that get done, work to to accomplish? Is church people? Is church you? Is church me? What is church? Is church the big C church? Or the little C church? Or or am I the church and I can do whatever I want? I can have church anywhere I want, and, and I, it, I, I am the church, and so I'm going to just go have church by myself for the rest of my life because, you know, that, that building down there is filled with really weird people that do stupid things. So I'm just going to be the church myself. What is church? Well, it's a mystery. Church is that mustard seed that one man planted and now there's approximately living at this moment 2.5 billion human beings that have accepted Christ and and have become Christians. 2.5 billion walking the face of the earth right now. That's over a third. We are approaching half Of the population of the world, we are approaching that. That's the church. There are estimated 37 million, 37 million church buildings in this world. 37 million bodies of Christ all the way around the world. Everywhere. Can you believe that? It has started as a mustard seed and it has grown. The church is alive. The church is growing. The church is expanding. The kingdom of heaven is truly as Jesus said it would be that started as a mustard seed and is growing into this incredible uh, tree where everyone, it's the biggest tree in the world where the birds of the air can come and nest. That 
is the church. And I'm here to tell you that what you do on a Sunday morning, when you come here and you show up and you're a part of a church, you are not just coming here to sit in the same purple chair so that you can say what you're doing. You are a part of a worldwide movement that God has had in mind from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth. And he has way more things in mind. He has so much to go. And But it's very, very, very important that we here at New Horizon, this church was planted. This was not my idea. It was not my idea. God said, well, I need a church in Fife. And it's going to look like this. It's going to have this flavor because there's people in Fife that need this. And then there's another church, maybe up in Milton, and that church is going to have this flavor because those kinds of people need that. And he's planted them all over. And when you come here, you are a part of God's plan. You are a part of his plan because he sees all the people in this area. He sees the community. He sees the lost. And they are darkened and lost. And he needs this church and every single church across America and all the way around the world to be vibrant and alive. And for a church to be vibrant and alive requires that every single soul that comes through the door, that that makes this their habit place to come, that has called this place to be their home, that every soul that would come in would be a committed soul to that place and be committed to health, spiritual health. You have to be. Because if this church here is to be the light in the darkness like we're called to be, We need all of you to come with the light that's burning inside of you. Amen? This series is going to focus on how to do church good. Church was not my idea. This was not my idea. I kind of didn't want to start a church. This is God's idea. Open your Bible now to um, Matthew. Because I want to take you back to some red letters where Jesus is going to talk to us and teach us a little bit about church, okay? And I want you to see where church really started, the way you know church, okay? And it came out of Jesus' mouth. Red letters right here. So Matthew 16, verse 13. Remember, everybody say, church Church. is not my idea. Say, church Church. is Jesus' idea. And you know what? If it's his idea, we kind of need to go along with it, right? So this story starts, uh, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say uh, the Son of Man is? Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background here. Caesarea Philippi. Anybody ever been to Caesarea Philippi? Okay, not a whole lot of you. I did. I went there. My husband and I, we went there. And I want to describe it to you, okay? Because you got to see. These stories are in, a, are in all sorts of settings that if you can see it, it can come alive to you. So Caesarea Philippi is northern Israel, and it's up kind of in their mountainous region. It's not, you know, if I were to say mountains, you'd think Mount Rainier. No, no, no. We're talking just little, you know, it's, it's mountains compared to, you know, total flat of the rest of Israel. But it's mountainous up there. It's up in the region of Dan, where the, the tribe of Dan, if you remember, uh, it's where they were from. And it's in the the area where there's a lot of water springs that spring up out of the ground. And so for thousands of years, this area was a very um, popular place to be because of the water. Otherwise, you know, people were living in the desert. And it was a very large um, pagan area. For thousands of years, hundreds of years, hundreds and maybe thousands, it was a place of pagan worship. Very steeped, very deeply in pagan worship. And uh, the, the main deity of Caesarea Philippi was the Greek god Pan. P-A-N. Pan. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. 
So we went to the area there of where Caesarea Philippi, kind of the city center is. And uh, it's kind of like, so you need to picture in your mind, you're kind of up, up on a hill, up on a mountainous kind of thing. And it's very rocky. There's a huge, huge, huge rocky cliff faces all over in this area. And at this one place where there was this big, huge, huge, really high, uh, craggy, just sheer cliff, there's a cave in it. And in that cave, it kind of goes down. And this is where they, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, worshipped the god Pan. And the god Pan was the god of nature and the god of fright, fear. So this whole area here has been steeped in very, very, very heavy, dark, oppressive fear. Fear and fright and, and all sorts of things are happening. It's just scary things. And people from all around would come to worship the God Pan. And do you know how they would worship the God Pan? They would bring their children. And they would start huge, huge fires in the very depths of this, where, as deep as they could get into this kind of this deep cavernous ca uh, cave. And they would set up all sorts of drums and all sorts of noise and, and people who would come from all over needing help from the earth God, from, the na from nature, needing help. They would come and they would bring their sacrifices. And sometimes it was goats and sometimes it was sheep, but a lot of times it was their own children. And they would take their children and they would come up to this place and they would worship this God crying out for help, crying out to appease this God of fear that was so deep inside of them. And they would actually take their children and as their children are starting to scream and cry, they would throw them into that place. This is what's going on. You can, you, this is not just a sweet little, little park place where Jesus gathered his, his disciples, no. This was a place of deep, deep evil. Children, it is amazing that as humanity draws away from God that we give up our very most precious commodity, our children. And Jesus is there and all of the disciples are there and he gathers his disciples up and this is where he decides in the midst of this din, in the midst of all this craziness all around him, he decides to have a conversation with his disciples. And he asks them, and you'd think that it kind of sounds a little bit, you know, prideful. Who, who, who do the people think I am? And Peter speaks up and says, let's read it, let's read it. When, uh, starting at verse 13, the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who, does the who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So these are all peer relationships human beings. You're just a really good human being, kind of a, a remarkable one, but you're a human being. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Whenever I have read this right here, I have always felt just the magnanimity, magnanimity, if that, is that a huge word, like, like really important moment. And that when he says those words, something shifts. Standing in the midst of pagan worship, of all of that going on, all of that cacophony of crazy noises all around him, Peter says it with such strength. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's a shift. I feel like just a huge shift that happens right there. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that now you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Everybody say my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome my church that's going to be set upon a rock. So my question to you is, and, and as I'm thinking, what is the rock? What is this rock? The Catholic Church believes that that rock, so Simon, his name was Simon, and then he changed it to Peter, okay? So Simon to Peter. 
The word, the name Simon means to hear and to listen. And the connotation is to hear all sorts of things. Kind of doing this in life. Kind of, okay, wait. Kind of that kind of lifestyle. But Jesus took him and shifted. Everything shifted. When Peter spoke from his heart, this is a heart change. You are not just a great guy. No, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Shift, massive shift, because something happened down inside of his heart now. And, God, and Jesus says, okay, no longer are you um, the one that hears everything and runs. The word there is another word for that is shifting. I know I'm using the word shifting in two different ways. but you, So Simon means kind of always doing this, to rock. Rock, solid, solid rock. So the Catholic Church believes that that statement there that says, on this rock I'm going to build my church, that, there's, that, that he's actually going to build it on Peter. And that Peter trained another guy, and that guy trained another guy, and that guy trained another guy through the generations, and those guys ended up being called the popes. Did you know that? That's the papal authority because they can trace it all the way back to Peter. So is Jesus going to build his church on Peter? The human? Just the man? Is all of a sudden he, he's the certain little impressive, you know, important human being that Jesus is going to build his church on? Well, I have a hard time with that because let's read here. Let's start here. Um, look at uh, uh, verse 21, just uh, about three verses later. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples they must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he might be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So the rock that that Jesus is going to build his church on is now Satan. Our humanity is frail and fickle. And I am here to present to you that no, Jesus is not going to build his church on Peter himself. But the rock that Jesus is going to build his house on or his church on is when the human soul settles the issue that Jesus Christ and his identity as being the son of the living God. That's what Jesus is going to build his church on. The heart shift. When the human soul settles on the identity of who Jesus Christ is, they go from being a shifting human being of wondering what and where, to becoming solid and on a rock. And that is what Jesus is going to build his church on. A group of humans who have made that decision, that, that strong, solid, shifting decision, that now I will no longer be uh, looking all around, but I am going to look to Jesus Christ because he is the God of this universe. It's a surrendering. It's a surrendering. It's a surrendering of everything that you think you know, of, of what you want it to be, of, of everything that in your life. Peter had to take a moment and go, what? No, you, you're not a peer person. You're not, a, you're not just another guy. You are God. And he surrendered. I want to talk a little bit about surrender here very quickly. Surrender. Surrendering causes you to shift from being a, a, a shifting situation into a rock. And when you surrender to something, you cease resisting. The people around Jesus were resisting him. No, it doesn't look right. No, it's not right. And I'm going to do it my way. And I've got my own way. And I'm a pretty good person. And all that kind of thing. They were resisting him. But every soul that said this just stopped resisting and embraced Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. Those were the ones now that he could build his church on. Stop resisting him. 
Stop resisting him in your life. Let him become the Christ, the son of the living God in every area of your life. Because every area that he is not the Christ, the son of the living God in your life is going to be a shifting area of your life. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know I'm, I'm trying my, my best. I'm doing my best. Do you understand what I'm saying? Shh, yield every single little area of your life to him and become a rock that he can build his church upon in your entire life, over your entire life. Healthy Christians are surrendered people. Think about an old shootout in the Western. You got the good guys and the bad guys depending on which side you're on. And there's a shootout. They're shooting. And, and there's this thing going on. But eventually, one of them says, okay, I surrender. And what do they do? They drop their weapons. They drop their guns. They drop their ideas, they drop their plans, they drop their everything that they had in mind. They lay it down, they have to lay it all down, and they come out surrendered with their hands up. They empty their pockets of anything that might be hiding in there, they come out with their hands up. And they yield themselves to the other. And I would say here today to my dear precious people here at New Horizon, I am calling you, I am, the Lord is calling you to surrender everything to him, just like Peter did as he was standing there. So much was going on around him. But he declared, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He surrendered everything to him. He acknowledged who he was and what he was. And today the Lord is calling you into complete and utter surrender. Stop resisting. Stop resisting every area of your life. Your soul is so important, so creative, so powerful, so influential that every demon in hell wants it and the God of the universe wants it. What is a church? What is this my church that Jesus is talking about? Because he said it differently. It's, it's my church that I'm going to build on this. So that tells me that there's other kinds of churches out there. But Jesus says, no, my church is going to be built on complete and utter surrender to me. Surrender to God. So what is my church, Jesus' church? It's a gathering of human souls that are completely and 100% surrendered to him. And Jesus takes these surrendered humans, these fickle, fragile, broken individuals who are yet surrendered and then fill them with the Holy Spirit. And as these ones, these individuals remain surrendered, he starts gathering them together, together, together. And he begins to call them together. Why are you here? Why did you come here today? God's called you here today. He's called the young and the old to gather here at New Horizon. You could gather anywhere else. But he's calling, he's coalescing a group of people here in Fife. Here in Fife, there's many other places to go. But he's calling you, he's gathering you. Young, old, rich, poor. Your, your skin are all different colors, hallelujah. You know the little girls, little kids song, red and yellow, black and white. He's gathering, gathering, gathering. And as he gathers these completely surrendered, sometimes they're an addicts that walk through the door that are being gathered here. They don't look like you. Sometimes he's gathering the clean. They don't look like you. Sometimes he's gathering ones that are educated and then the ones that aren't educated. He does not gather the same. He gathers different. Oh, we don't like different. That's uncomfortable. But Jesus says, 
I hold all of these people together. And if he can gather a people who will 100% surrender themselves to him in every way, in every shape, in every form in their life, then they begin to coalesce and come together with such diversity that now we start to look like Christ who surrendered everything to the point of death. We will start having a gathering of human beings that, like Galatians 2.20, can say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is church. But are we all gathering together, surrendered to him, so that we can all feel good and, and have a better life? Absolutely not. Because we cannot forget the last part of those red letters. That the gates of hell will not prevail. There is a reason that he saved you. There's a reason that he filled you with his Holy Spirit. There's a reason that he's gathered you here together. There's a reason that he's brought all of us here together. Because he has some gates of hell that are wanting to prevail, that want to set itself up. There are caves of worshiping and, and all of the worldly stuff going on. And he needs a body of Christ to coalesce together that can rise up and can make a difference and push back the powers of hell. And that is his church. That is why you came today. That is why we do this. That is why, that is why. Let's all stand, I want the band to come. Just assuredly as Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, we live in the midst of darkness. We function in the midst of darkness. There is gates of hell all around you that are wanting to prevail over you. There are gates of hell that want to grow and oppress and to shrink the church and to put pressure against you personally. There are gates of hell that are wanting to overwhelm you and to win in your mind. There are gates of hell that want to win in your body. There are gates of hell that want to win in this country. There are gates of hell that want to win in the schools. There are gates of hell that want to win in every single area around here. There are gates of hell that want to win in media and in, in the arts entertainment. There's gates of hell that want to win. And the church of Jesus Christ is the thing that he pulls together first individually, pulling you out of darkness and putting the light of Christ in you and then gathering you into a body. And that body comes together and burns with the fire of his Holy Spirit. And then we are able to make together a difference against the gates of hell. If you have to stand against the gates of hell in your life by yourself, I will guarantee you're going to have to fight for your life. But Jesus doesn't want you to be by yourself for everywhere that two or three gather together in their midst. There I am. And when you gather together, you are strengthened. You are strengthened for us to be able to push against the gates of hell. Jesus said those words in the middle of that evil, evil place because he wanted his disciples to know that that's exactly where his church belongs. Right in the middle of the center of darkness is where he calls his people to gather together. Some of his people are fearful. Some of his people are afraid of the darkness, afraid that the darkness is gonna win. Afraid that the darkness is going to overcome us and overwhelm us. There have been times when there's been great oppression against the church. I'll grant that. But I will tell you, 
that that oppression has come to an end many, many times, and the church has come forth triumphant, and the Christians have come forth triumphant. And that for every martyr that has laid his life down and the blood spilled into the ground is the very seed bed that has grown forth to cause that tree to go even greater in that area. You are called. You are called to come against the powers of darkness and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You are called. You are called. But I ask, are you surrendered? There are many, many churches. There are many, many believers that struggle. But I would say New Horizon will not struggle. For I will continue to bring the word of God to you. Continue to draw you. Continue to draw me. To call my life dead. And to call my life Christ living. That when I gather with you, we can be unified. And we can fight hell together. Fight hell together. The gates of hell will not prevail against my brothers and my sisters that I am called to fellowship with here. I believe it for everyone else, but this is a special group because these are the ones I, I see, I know, I know your names. I know what your fight is. I want to know. If I don't know, I want to know. But I need you, every single one of you, to surrender. We're going to close with some worship here. And I want you to consider in your life. Surrender again, surrender again, surrender again. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You reign and rule over every piece of me. You reign over my future. You reign over my past. You reign over my words. You reign over my hurts. You reign over my dreams. You reign, you reign, you reign. Throw your weapons down. The things that you've been fighting against Jesus with. Whatever the resistance that you've been pushing back to God with. You can have this part, but this not, not this part. Throw them down right now. Just throw them down and raise your hands up and surrender. Oh, Father. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. And I would say, repeating Jesus' words, it's upon this rock this rock human souls surrendered to him it's on this rock humanity surrendered with all of their creativity and strength surrendered to God it's upon this rock right here it's upon this group it's upon these people that Jesus can build his church praise you father praise you father just let just worship just worship, just worship. Hallelujah. Let the word just sink in. Praise you, Father. We're going to close the service. If you need to go, thank you for coming. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. If you can tarry, let's just worship. I surrender. I surrender.